episode of The Meteor Room. I'm your host, Nick Bello. In today's episode, we talk with Keith Egan, who has worked for Scene Hall Athletics as their creative director. Keith and I talked about his work as the director of The Voyage, a long-form video series that chronicled the 2019-20 Scene Hall men's basketball team. We also discussed getting people to buy into your vision and the importance of having a versatile skill set. We have a great show for you today, so sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Media Room. Today, I am joined by Keith Egan of Seton Hall. So, Keith, welcome to the show. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, Keith, so we go to rival schools, Seton Hall and St. John's, and we're supposed to hate each other, but we don't hate each other. It's such a weird dynamic that we have going on here because we've followed each other on Twitter for such a long time, and I feel like I know you pretty much, but we go to rival schools, we're supposed to hate each other. Like, how, is, how does that work for you? I, it feels weird to me. Yeah, it is a little weird just because, you know, the, the, the rivalry starts with uh, the two teams, but at the end of the day, the people you work uh, – in the same area as you usually have a close relationship with and you value those people just because you, you know what the other has been through and you kind of build off each other. But at the same time, you know, it kind of goes as the basketball court. You could be uh, friends with people, but once that game's going on, sometimes you're like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not really down to have a conversation right now, but I'm, I'm just, you know, just <laughs> light play there. But it's, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like the game, you know, it's, it's all just business casual. And um, at the end of the day, we're all creative and, you know, it all kind of just works out in the end. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, a few years ago, I remember Miles Powell had a good relationship with a couple of our players. I think he still has a good relationship with Mustafa Heron. They grew up together, I think, um, playing against each other. So it's, it is definitely a weird dynamic where, you know, the players hate each other or like each other before the game, but then they have to hate each other during the game. And then after the game, no one cares. Um, but anyway, so uh, I just kind of want to talk to you about how you started seeing Hall. Like, how did you get into sports media in general? Well, before sports, I was just really into uh, television in general. My dad's in the business. I have some other family that's around the business, and I, I grew up around it. Um, I would go to work with my dad and just be around uh, the, the sort of environment and be on shoots with him. And it always brought to my or caught my attention rather, and it, it made me, you know, be more interested in it. And because of that, there was really never a question of what I was going to college for. I don't know when I really decided it, but ever since I was young, I was like, I want to do television. And I looked up schools. I remember I liked Maryland because I liked that. I knew that there's a lot of people that came out of there. Um, and then uh, it was really the last school I looked at was Seton Hall. I got something about them in the mail. I looked up, you know, what TV programs they might have um, and just saw the opportunities that students were getting because everything was kind of student run um, and going to a school that plays in the big East has good connections in the city and, 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 you know, that Madison Square Garden thing, as you're familiar with, is always a plus. So um, just just seeing the, those opportunities really caught my interest. And then when I got into Seton Hall, I wanted to try everything and see which one was the best for me in the sports industry. I was in the paper. I did the uh, radio station. Um, there is a, a TV station that's separate from the Pirate Sports Network, but um, the PSN was what I was mostly involved in because those opportunities are really what I, I found myself becoming passionate about in that uh, ended up being creative services and, and creative producing and all of that. So, um, you know, a, lo a lot of different opportunities kind of shaped where I was at. It took a little bit of time to figure out kind of where I fit. I still feel like I am finding out where I fit, but at the same time, that's, you know, part of the process. And um, it, it's really been fun. And I think sports, you know, for, for video purposes um, is so awesome just because of the passion that's around it, the culture of the sport. Um, so much to storytell. There's so much, you know, fan attention there and people, you know, really care about it. 
And um, especially when you have good teams, which I've been lucky enough, Seton Hall has had probably their best four years since the early 1990s that they've been able to string together my time here. And it's uh, it was all a, a, a great process, a great learning process, and um, really just the love of uh, what we've done in the past four years has been awesome. Mm-hmm. And so when you talk about, you know, joining your school newspaper and trying to get started in the industry, how many years did you spend, you know, working at your school newspaper, working for the, um, the student um, TV station before you got the job at, uh, with the creative department at St. John or Seton Hall Athletics, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, so I, I started right away and I would say that the first two years of my time in college were really feeling it out and seeing kind of where, where I belonged. And I, I knew early on that PSN was going to be what I wanted it. And it was just a little matter of waiting for me to be on the upperclassmen side of it. Um, the seniors kind of get to form what they want and, you know, they have the power in that sense. Um, but junior year uh, is when I really started doing the creative services side. And once I did that, that's kind of when the others just, you know, faded away a little bit just because, you know, I didn't want to be on air really anymore. And that was what WSOU and the radio station she kind of did. I didn't want to write, even though I learned how to write pretty well and I'm confident in my writing. It's a great skill to have. You need to learn how to write. But at the same time, I thought that my dedication was going to help me out more in in the PSN and the creative side. Um, But I stuck around in those for uh, two and a half semester, two and a half years. So uh, an extra semester in the third and then kind of, you know, as as basketball season took shape and I saw myself, you know, kind of uh, taking a bigger role there. You know, I, I, I think it's always good to have a a good focus, but a broad reach. So I tried to uh, match those two. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with you on that because at St. John's, I started off with my school newspaper. newspaper. I still work for them as a photo editor. But last year I was the sports editor where I write a lot of articles about the players and stuff. And I think it's very important for, you know, kids in college to kind of broaden their skills, learn how to write, learn how to broadcast, learn how to do video and photo stuff. And it makes you more of a marketable candidate once you come down looking for, looking for a job. Absolutely. And just being around it, just like when, when you're working with other people, it's always good to have an understanding of what they're doing. Because sometimes, you know, even as a, as a cameraman and a production person, not a lot of people understand production. When you're working with people that don't understand it, it get, can get frustrating when they, you know, they, there's a mix up here and there. So when you're working with other people, and you're trying to understand what they're doing. It's always good to know where they're coming from. And broadcasting is is a, a broad area, and it reaches a lot of different ways. So as many things as you can cover, at least you know, a basic understanding is always important. Absolutely. So, um, when did you exactly start with um, the, the Pirate News Network or Pirate Sports Network um, as a as a creative director, or even just as an intern? Um. So it was always student run. It was always student based. So it was uh, right away. I was on it as doing um, <clears throat> live broadcasts, which was kind of what the PSN was based off of doing live broadcasts for all sports besides basketball, because those rights go to Fox. And then basketball is where kind of creative services kind of came into play a little bit more. A lot of people made graphics. I was more into video. We used to do a lot of post game shows, which is where I started off just getting those edits done and then being on air a couple times with that. Um, sophomore years when I really started to kind of go to the uh, SIDs and pitch them ideas about covering senior days or, or um, doing features on athletes or certain events. Um, and that's when I kind of worked on editing a lot more. And pretty recently, I mean, the junior year was when I, I kind of started off with on the creative side. We, me and my uh, roommate sophomore year, Joe Binder, and he ended up working with me um, on all the projects we've 
done in the past couple of years. Uh, he had a camera at the time. I invested in uh, Canon 80D. Um, I didn't know too much about it and really just went about the first game that it really came together was uh, we played Kentucky at the Garden. And uh, that game was pretty legendary. Um, yeah, we, to say the we, least. Yeah, we had the game-winning shot one second to go, and Kentucky uh, hits the half-court shot to send us into overtime. We end up winning the game on another game-winning three-pointer, and um, that's, that is uh, <laughs> visual recap heaven, <laughs> so to speak. So that was the first one we ever did of that. And uh, after that, it blew up, and people kind of bought into what we were doing and opportunities started rolling in. And that's when we got a little bit more creative freedom, a little bit more access. And uh, this past senior year is when we took that to a whole new level. It's actually kind of funny that you mentioned that game because I specifically remember that visual re recap that you guys did. And I remember saying, this is amazing because that was like kind of on par with what Duke was doing at the time with Zion Williamson with their recap, cinematic recaps. And it's a trend that a lot of teams have followed. Um, but, you know, going into a game like that, did you expect to create something that would get that many views out of that game? Or were you, like, was that even on like the plan that you guys had, like a, like a cinematic recap like that? Man, if we if <laughs> we were playing the number nine team in the nation as a team that was supposed to be uh, probably out of the tournament, but definitely on the bubble. And uh, I, I had no idea what was going to happen. But as the game started going on and I started, you know, shooting in the it was my first time really shooting in the garden. And that's. Um, it's the best place to shoot. It, it really is uh, just the lighting and the setup of everything, the darked out uh, fans. And it's um, just perfect for that. And my creative juices got going. And then after that, the game took care of itself. Uh, we, we wanted to do cinematic uh, recaps uh, for, for other games, but it wasn't really, it was kind of like, all right, we'll clip some highlights and do some stuff. We didn't really have a clear vision on it. Um, and we didn't have a clear person on who was doing it either. We just kind of had the idea of what, what would happen. And I was like, well, I'm just going to bring my camera and see what happens. And uh, a lot did. So <laughs> it went well and we took it from there. And that, that I'm definitely really proud of that. And it's uh, that looking back at that video, I'm like, I mean, it's, it's good. It's not, <laughs> you know, there's, there's so much more that when you grow, cause I didn't really know anything at the time. Um, but of course that, that, you know, I wouldn't go back and change a thing anyway. Um, so, you know, in terms of cinematic recaps, did you have a template that, like, you like, were you uh, studying other schools' recaps, like that, what they were doing, or did you just kind of just come up with what you thought was best and go from there? I was always looking at other schools, um, looking at what they what they would do, not even just recaps, just content and how they would post it, what they would, what their purpose would be, and I've grown in that. Um, but at the time, there was no really layout for how I did it. It was really just and even in that you could look back at it there there's it, it's not really strung through the game I just picked some really good shots I had a few good makes um I just put it to this the cinematic music and then at the end of the game is when I really got into like the storytelling of it and using announcers voices and everything so that you could really understand what was happening at the end um but it was really kind of off the cuff and I from there um I, I became a lot more organized um and I've increased in that but uh at that time it was it was pretty random to be honest just sitting down and getting creative with it and seeing what happens mm. and leading from that cinematic recap that you guys started doing last year you went on this year to make uh the voyage yeah the voyage um which is kind of like a cinematic recap for each and every game so how did that idea get started and you know how challenging is it to make something like that where it's a cinematic recap for every game you're getting very in-depth yeah there's a lot to it um well it started uh to answer that first what we saw as we continued after the Kentucky game, we did cinematic recaps for every game. Um, but those were pretty simple to a beat. Use some of the uh, Gary Cohen's uh, radio announcing. Um, 
then this year, what we wanted to do was take that to a new level. And to be honest, a lot of it goes back to the fact that we knew we had a top team in the nation and even people who, who were negative about it and, and maybe didn't think some things were overhyped at the end of the day, we, I was betting on this team being pretty good. Um, and when you create a series like the voyage, which is really based off emotion and, and following a team throughout the year, whether it's the ups and downs, um, a lot of that is the emotion and passion and ups and downs. And I got a good sense for Seton Hall and they never cease to, kind of have exciting seasons no matter what it is they have exciting games they end up on sports center where it's bad beats or an upset or maybe they do get upset so it's just the it's just the nature of the beast but um, for the voyage I wanted to really just kind of story tell and, and make it a little more structured as you you know we talked about just before some things were a little unorganized before this we had a really clear kind of mission for it a clear way it was going to go um, and it was pretty successful I would say it, it, it did really well I think that uh, visual recaps work well in schools like Seton Hall where it's not a wide fan base you get probably one or two videos that are going to pop and the rest might if you produce too much content it's going to get swept under the rug really easily because you don't have the, the fallback of a hundred thousand fans waiting for you to post something so making sure that every post has some purpose was really important and the voyage really grabbed the attention of people and, and it just it was just a way to um, What's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> it, was, it, it was a way to really take down all the, the things that happened throughout the year and make the most out of big games. And uh, I think that's what we did. Yeah. Um, and to add to, you know, what you just said, I think you did a great job telling a good linear story from the start of the season to the end of the season. And, you know, with something like that, where you're getting a lot of access to the players, as I saw in some of the clips where you're in the locker room post-game, pre-game, and you're, you're, you're in constant contact with the players. And we've seen it in the last dance, too. How do you go about, uh, you know, getting that access and also building relationships with the players to where they feel comfortable, um, you know, being themselves on camera? You know, the, the getting them to be themselves on camera part was easy. They love the camera. I knew they loved the camera, which is part of the reason I love the idea um, of, of getting more access. Um, because they were natural about it. They loved talking to it. After every single game, they would shake hands. They would turn around, look for me, Joe, and Drew, and go right up to us and say say whatever. Oh, going on the plane, they would interact with us. So that part was easy. Um, getting the access, man, I'll tell you, I, I, I fought for every little inch of it. So <laughs> it's, it's really important. It's uh, something that uh, is so huge for, for content because at the end of the day, a recap is great and having the view from the sideline is great because you have to give the viewer something that they haven't had. You can't just replay what they saw on TV. So having a, a sideline view, having a little um, historic background on it, being able to get them out of the tunnel just a little bit before the game, get the arena sense. Um, those little things are what can really do well on video. And that's what we uh, made the most out of with the series. So getting the access was really important. Um, just, Honestly, always, always maintaining uh, a sort of respect with the program and knowing that, you know, I'm here for you guys. Like this is the, I want the program to look as good as you guys want to look. That's my job. Um, so just keeping that in mind and always just, you know, doing what's best for the program. It don't, you know, it, it goes, it's simple to just say, don't do anything stupid. <laughs> don't do, you know, don't do anything that you think coach Willard wouldn't like. You don't think the athletic director would want to see, uh, on the program and some things, you know, just go right back to the SID and that's really all it goes. But I uh, definitely access is huge. I got as 
much of it as I think I could. <laughs> and, um, you know, th those big games especially are easy to get easier to get. Like Villanova was easy to get in the locker room. And, um, you know, you just get the sense of that. And you could tell because um, anything from locker room, any content like that, it just blows up. Any Anything that you really show them, something that uh, the fans, something that they don't get to experience. Yeah, no, definitely. That's why I'm a huge fan of, uh, you know, content like that where you're – you're behind the scenes with the team. You're following the team throughout the whole year. Um, and, you know, with access to, that's something that uh, at St. John's I've also had to kind of fight for is, you know, kind of getting comfortable with the coaching staff and having them, um, you know, become kind of comfortable with me around. Um, so when when you kind of pitch the idea of getting all this access uh, to your boss or to whoever, it, how much of it is the coaching staff, you know, how much are – how comfortable were they at first and how would you get – gain their trust I guess they weren't they're not crazy about it um it, it's it's something that also they hadn't had before mm -hmm. um and a lot of it going into like scene hall student media you know you, when when your your student media has kind of been one thing for a while it's hard to kind of change it up and it kind of takes a new idea and that's what we kind of had um a new respect which I think we were able to gain um I have a great relationship with the coaching staff now. They're very supportive of, you know, what I've done. They've hit me up on Twitter before and, and put my stuff out there and have been um, really supportive about it. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it goes through a lot of people and sometimes it gets held up uh, for one reason or another somewhere down the line. But, you know, just maintaining that relationship is, is really important. And, you know, just showing, showing respect to them and hoping that you get that same respect back and, and really, if you can put your work out and, and do it enough times, then, you know, you, you'll make progress. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with that because, you know, at the beginning of the season, we had a new coaching staff and they didn't really know who all the interns were, who were, you know, photographing almost every second of their, of, of game day. And, you know, once the season started kind of rolling, they became more comfortable with us and they were started posing for us and stuff. And our head coach became comfortable with me being around and all of our other interns being around. So I definitely think that, you know, gaining trust with the coaching staff is important and maybe even more important than gaining trust with the players, I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how you're going to get to the players. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the end of the day and the players, you know, the, the players are usually easy. You're dealing with college kids, you know, at the end of the day, it's not, these aren't professional guys and you're not going into their house and building their families. You're, you're just trying to get them at practice and they, they love it. It's the social media age. That's why um, there's so many questions about name, image, and likeness now yeah. because so many things are put on social media and they love the fact that it is. So it's, it's, it helps them brand themselves. It helps, you know, create a name um, for the themselves, even past basketball, especially, you know, when you're, when you're um, at a school that's successful and at a school that is smaller than most, which is Seton Hall, even though, you know, it, it's a, it's a big network here, but at the end of the day, it's a small school. Absolutely. And so when it comes to, you know, filming something like the voyage where you're getting a lot of pregame clips, a lot of postgame clips, um, you know, what, what is a typical game day routine for you look like? Like what time are you getting there before the game and what time are you staying until after the game? And when are you editing, I guess? Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy process. Um, the, the first part, I like being there early. Um, I like three hours early if I'm home, a lot of uh, visiting arenas don't let you do that. Mm -hmm. um, I think pregame is one of the most, is one of the coolest parts of the game. You know, I, before I even did this, I would just sit courtside and, and watch players shoot around. You're in an empty arena there, you know, there, there's nothing like it. And it's not a feeling that really uh, wears off anytime soon. So just 
being around there and getting all that, you know, kind of silence and, and angst before a game is always a cool thing to shoot and to, and to grasp visually. Um, and, and then once fans come in about an hour before, sometimes, you know, there's uh, things to, to shoot. Every game we would, we would talk about storylines. You know, I would go over um, special events happening. We, we did stuff for one episode. There was, it was kids day. We talked with the ticket office. Um, other times it was just tops open sold out game game speaks for itself. It's just the way it is. Um, so making sure that you hit all those bases and we were able to have um, three, three videographers at home, which has made it easy enough to get everything done. Um, and then from there, warm up routines, you become familiar enough with that. Um, yeah. Intros is obviously a huge thing. Just try to get a different location every time. I don't get too picky with it. If everyone just stands in a different spot, just, you know, create a freedom on that, do whatever you want. Um, and then spots for games. So we would have one person on the front baseline, one person on the back baseline, and then one person either roaming around or getting that sideline view. Um, if we were on the road, we were a little bit more limited. So it would usually just be front baseline, back baseline, or if it was, you know, empty enough, <laughs> you can roam around a little bit. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's pretty much the layout that we went with. Um, I try to get different angles just to shake everything up and, and try to just, you want to see games differently. Every, every game is different and every game uh, has different views. We're very, you know, our equipment wasn't too crazy. It was all personal equipment. So, you know, we, we, there was one game I was able to get a long lens with a Metabone adapter and then take it from um, up in the stands. So most of the time it's really getting up in there and seeing what happens. Um, all right. And then after the game, so if we win, my work uh, gets crazy for a little while. <laughs> a loss really, we, it's a lot easier at that point because once we win, that means there is a Voyage episode coming. Um, and I like to kind of keep the music um, backloaded and have it, but most of the time I'm just searching on YouTube or, or finding whatever music we can get um, and, and finding something that really fits the mood. I'm a big, I'm big into um, matching the, the video with the music, having the music to kind of have in the, first place and then say this is how we're going to kind of shape it around it um that's an easy way to just kind of produce it overall because if you come up with an idea and you don't have the music it's kind of pointless you're not going to get very, very far um so finding the music getting everybody's footage making sure everything is organized and then waiting for gary's uh, radio audio to get put up on on sidearm and that's where we would grab it from there would be a download link from there so really like the two two hours after the game are just me getting all my stuff together <laughs> getting all the shots <laughs> Shots organized, music, music chosen, um, get the uh, audio on there, and then the 24-hour turnaround, basically. The next day would be my editing day, and the next morning or early afternoon, it would come out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, it sounds like a huge process, and, you know, with everybody in the creative space, I think that we can all kind of relate to some having some kind of routine like that. Um, I'm like you, where I love getting to the game, you know, around like three hours before and just kind of feeling the silence of the crowd before everybody gets in. It's it's a surreal feeling. And if anybody, you know, gets a chance to experience that, it's definitely something worth experiencing, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's pretty cool. And that's a, you think three hours is a lot of time until you, you have only a, a few a few things to do. And all of a sudden it's an hour before tip and you're like, oh, I've got to get everything done. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, it, it was really cool. And uh, the, the day after was, uh, you know, it was always crazy, but it always challenged me creatively. And that's what was really important about it. 
Um, was it, I would run into problems. I would, you know, have to come up with new ideas and it pushed me to a new limit. And it was all, you know, I, I brought it on myself. It was my idea to do it. Um, so I never, you know, it was never about being overworked or, or anything like that because I really cared about it and I really wanted to get it done. And I, I felt a responsibility to get it done. And because of that, I think we got it done pretty efficiently. Um, and, you know, to get a little bit more into the editing side, um, it really goes back into organization when you're trying to do something like this because you have so many shots to choose from. And really most of my editing was making a melt of all of our shots. So every made shot from my camera, Joe's camera, Drew's camera, mapping those out, picking the plays off the score sheet that we wanted to include and how we wanted to do that, how it was going to match with the music. And then, you know, sometimes I wouldn't start my real editing process until, you know, the afternoon because I would just spend the, the early part of the day and not even the after, probably evening just because, you know, once, once you get it all set up, the intro was the hardest part just because that's where you kind of set the tone. But at the same time, it was kind of easy to let my creative juices just flow. It didn't really need to be anything structured. It just was, you know, find a way to tell the story about the game. And a lot of times Gary Cohen and Dave Popkin would do that for me. And it was just my responsibility to make it happen and put it to life in video. And how much has, you know, Gary Cohen, who was, who was, for those of you who don't know, he's the voice of the New York Mets on SNY. And he's a, he's a, he's an awesome broadcaster. How much, you know, does it help to have someone like that doing voiceovers for your clips or doing play-by-play -play for your clips? I, he's, he's awesome. <laughs> he <laughs> saves me so much. And just, I mean, to be honest, he's, he is the voyage, you know, mm -hmm. he's the voice of the voyage. He is, we, we used him for, every visual recap that he was a part of Dave Popkin filled in towards the end when uh, spring training started a little bit, but he filled in uh, just fine. And he's a pro anytime I need him to just say something, it's, it's going to happen. I just got to find it. You know, he, he, he tells the story of the game. He knows what's relevant. He knows what's important and he's not even doing it as a video standpoint. He's just being a radio broadcaster, which is exactly what I need him to do. And that's what he, he was able to do each time. And, um, Gary's awesome. He was a huge fan of the, uh, of the, of the piece, of course. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's all over it. Um, and he was just always, always um, on our side, so to speak, not that there was a division, but always pushing for us to be, you know, included in everything. And, you know, just talking to him on road trips and stuff, we would get dinner with him the, the night before games. And it, it was awesome. You know, he, he's, he's a pro. He knows exactly, you know, what he's doing he's you know he speaks for himself and being around someone like that and being around a professional um was cool as first as a Mets fan and then it becomes <laughs> cool as at first as a um at just having a relationship with them they're no longer you know someone that is a sports figure that you still look up to but um they're the word <laughs> yeah I know what you're, I know what you're trying to say yeah. um you know, there's a lot of pieces that go into making something like this. So how hard is it to kind of get everybody on board, you know, when it comes to, you know, the, the camera guys, you know, as you said, Gary Cohen, the radio voice, and even the athletics department itself. Like how hard was it to, you know, kind of get everybody on board, get your, your vision out to everybody so everybody understands what's going on? Camera guys were easy, man. Joe, Joe Binder, Drew Miller. Mm -hmm. Um, Joe was obviously, as I said before, with me from, from the beginning. He was always uh, a key to this whole thing. And then Drew uh, kind of – we saw um, someone who was editing seeing all footage just from his dorm room using YouTube footage, using our footage sometimes. And uh, yeah. we were like, hey, I mean, if he wants to actually do this and really 
kind of learn his craft a little bit, then let's bring him on and, and see what he can do. Um, he invested in the same camera as we did and, and was a great addition to the team. And, you know, they were completely bought in, you know, they, they love it. They're, they're, you know, passionate about it. And that's really what, what you need. And they're good at what they do, of course. Um, from the communication side, um, at first, you know, I, I wrote up an 18 page proposal, brought it to them and said, this is what I want to do. Um, we had multiple meetings. I had more meetings than probably anybody else did because I would just <laughs> go in there every morning, every time there was a question I needed to ask and, you know, just went from there. And I think a lot of it was, you know, there was some skepticism of just, can you get it? Can you get something like this done access wise, travel wise, how, how are certain things going to fold? And I didn't even get yeses. I, I just kind of went in with it. We didn't know. We didn't know the first episode of the voyage was the, um, was uh, biggest media day, right? Yeah, it was biggest yeah. media day. And we had, I think the meeting two weeks before that and one more final meeting a week before that. And he was still waiting on approval from the coaches. And I think you, I don't think they really wanted to ask because they were afraid of what they would say about some of our requests. But um, at the end of the day, it worked out, even though I didn't get all the locker room access we could have gotten. I, I respect the fact that, you know, that they did things a certain way and that's fine. Um, but big games and big moments is what we wanted to capture. And we did it through there. And um once you start doing it and once you get those great big episodes out and you repeatedly put out very quality content, everybody buys in from that point on because you have the athletic director loves it. The, 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 the people that handle, handle the booster club and what we have is pirate blue. They love it. And the ticket office loves it. And you know, you're including everybody. It was supposed to be a community thing. It wasn't, you know, it's not supposed to be just about the team. It was supposed to be about the whole Seton Hall community. And um, we, we did that. A lot, especially at first, we I really wanted to include the fans in it. The beginning of the season is a great time to include the fans when you have things like, you know, we have our opening dinner called the Beefsteak Dinner. Um, we had an a, a open scrimmage that led to a autograph signing on the green, which we captured in the voyage. And just those little things, I mean, it makes fans feel involved. Like, I, I think fans are as big a part of sports as anybody. You know, obviously the players and coaches yeah. do a lot. But, you know, when it comes to game time, you know, the, the fans make things happen. You know, there is no – there is no – um teams there is you know live events and all of this without the fans buy-in and that's how you see you know teams and, and leagues succeed so it's always important to keep them involved and the fan buy-in was just like everything else the dominoes kind of just fall at a certain point um you, you continue putting out quality content you continue offering something that fans want that they haven't seen before and you know they, they the, those views are what made everything else kind of move along as well and so, you know, going into this, you said you wrote an 18-page proposal. Uh, you know, for a project like this, you know, you have to be very motivated to do it. So what kind of motivated you to start something like this? I think, honestly, just the thought of people thinking I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, was, that was part of it. That was such a driving factor. Um, just being told no so many times only made me think it was just a yes. It was just – I've said this before um, – in my mind, this was already done. This was already completed. Everything was, I got the access. I got everything. It was just a matter of what was I going to say to make it happen? Cause it was, it was going to get done. Um, so the 18, 18 page proposal was just putting it all together and, and putting it in writing form. Like this is exactly what I want to do. This is exactly what we need. Um, dividing it into short-term content, long-term content, um, different moments we want to highlight different hype videos we want to get done and some things don't get done. But at the end of the day, you know, 
big dream, dream big and, and see, see how far you can get. And we got a lot done. Um, but it, it was really just, I mean, I got a passion for this and I got a passion for Seton Hall basketball. Um, I watched Seton Hall basketball growing up sometimes painfully and, and it, it definitely got better in recent years before, before I, uh, got to Seton Hall, especially my senior year when they win the Big East tournament. And um, just being able to tell a story about this team and, and having a guy like Miles Powell that you can, you know, really script kind of what his legacy is. You know, you kind of get a hold of that before, you know, the NBA grabs him. And it just um, – it's awesome just to see what, what happened and obviously got cut short. But there were so many memorable moments and so many things that um, I think, you know, fans and, and – people involved in the Seton Hall community will be watching and remembering for a long time. So do you think, you know, with what we've seen from the last dance, that this type of long-form content on social media is going to uh, become more prevalent, I guess, in college sports and professional sports with, with the whole social media craze going on right now? Like, do you think there's that, like, with, from what we've seen from the last dance, I guess, like, is this going to start like another boom in this kind of content being created? You know, it's hard to say. The Last Dance, you know, maybe it does get people creatively thinking long form. I think that a lot of social media content has been really about engaging people in 30 seconds or less, ideally 10. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been been big, but it, it really all just goes back to doing it right. You know, if, if you do long form content right, then you'll be successful with it. If you, you know, put out something that is kind of boring, doesn't really have a purpose, then you it's going to get lost in the weeds because it's long and people aren't paying attention. Um, but I, I think you've seen people like LSU, like teams like LSU. I mean, everyone knows that they, they've done things that content teams have, have never seen before and, and set, set a standard that is going to, you know, be hard to meet with other teams, but they put out hype videos that were two and a half minutes long, but mm -hmm. it's quality content. It tells a story and you have the people engaged. So that's, what's really important about it. Um, you know, it's tough to say. I, I don't know. I'll be interested to see if long form content kind of makes a, a little bit of a, I don't want to say a return, but uh, rises its importance a little bit um, because I think it does well. It, it really does. If you capture things in the right way and storytelling the right way, it's, it's a lot of work, but it, it gets the job done. Um, sometimes it's just not successful though. You know, sometimes you got to know when, when the right thing, when you just need a 30 piece, 30 second piece to just highlight someone or something that happened or when you need to really tell a full uh, full length story. And I've one thing I've, I've really tried to grow in is telling that story in a short amount of time. And I think that the two minutes and 30 seconds that we tried to keep the voyage to is, is the good, is the perfect amount for Twitter long form mm -hmm. media, because obviously, you know, it, it can get a little crazy on Twitter as far as, you know, clicking for likes and stuff like that. TV is obviously made for long form. So it's, it, changes a little bit but you know it's it's an interesting question and um i'll be excited to see what happens because i i love it i think that it really shows um how good a director can be you know, how long can you keep someone's attention how long can, can you switch it up halfway through and keep it interesting um those things are are really interesting to see how people do it in the last dance obviously you know set a tone for documentaries coming up that you know we haven't seen in a little bit Mm -hmm. and so how important is it to understand your fan base because like as you said before um you know you've been a Seton Hall fan for a long time how important is it understanding your fan base understanding what they want and understanding you know what your capabilities are I guess it's everything to be honest you know mm -hmm. it's it's everything from 
content planning to what you're actually putting on screen, what voiceover you have, what, what is the tone of the voiceover? Um, what, what is the identity of the team? Two years ago, we were um, this scrappy little team with a star player who could beat anybody in the nation, but you just didn't know when. And that was cool to say we were battle tested. We had great wins on, on the road and at neutral sites. And, you know, we, we went through slumps, but at the same time, we came back stronger than ever to end the season. This year, we're a top 20 team for the majority of the season. Towards the end of the year, we solidified ourselves. And, and just kind of knowing where you're at as a team is very important because, you know, obviously there's, there's different kind of seasons that you can go through. But then understanding the fan base is, you know, everything just knowing what content works. And we were able to kind of do, you know, I would look at the analytics on our Twitter page and see what worked. Um, and that kind of, you know, really um, worked in our favor, helped us um, make the most of a lot of big moments. Um, but, you know, understanding your team's history and what kind of team you are is what shapes your content. So I would say it's probably the most important thing to go into the season to know, you know, what, what is your identity? That's where everything starts from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because at St. John's, you know, it'd be cool to do something like this. But I think, you know, personally, our fans are kind of the more traditional fan base who would like to watch like a TV show about this kind of stuff, not like a 20 second or not, not I mean 20 seconds, like a two minute uh, Twitter video about it. And so we've kind of had to uh, gear some of our content towards our fans. And we've kind of worked on that. I had a lot of discussions about that. Um, but, you know, in terms of uh, people who want to do what you do at Seton Hall in terms of, you know, directing something like The Voyage. What is your advice to them uh, if they're, you know, coming out of high school or in, are still in college trying to, you know, kind of break into the sports media uh, landscape? I mean, it's simple, but just do it. <laughs> you know, uh, don't buy the camera, get the editing equipment and go to work. Um, there's nothing you can't find out right now. There, There's pros that have tips and tricks but at the end of the day if you want to find out how to cut how to paste how to do everything you need to do in premiere you can find tutorials for that you can find people for that that will help you because the creative community around video and creative content is, is very powerful um so re really that's what it comes down to and, and don't let you know it, it all goes back to very simple things but don't let anybody get in your way because there's going to be people that tell you you can't do this or that there's things that limit you but you can't limit yourself so it, it comes down to just getting it done and, and having the will to get it done and also just trying to branch out be be creative don't don't put yourself in a box of any sort um because you you can have a focus a focus is great a focus will help you get places and, and having goals but always try different things always try to do other tricks that you haven't tried yet you know always be open to the creative community that's something that's huge i know you're open on on the twitter community as well and just seeing other people post and and post their content and talk about what works and what doesn't you you get so many ideas from that and always be a consumer that's a big thing as well just you know let let the creativity flow don't force it but you know push yourself yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, what you said about uh, being active on social media and watching what everybody else is doing is so important because, um, you know, when I first started, even still, like, I'm not really coming up with too many original ideas. Like some of the stuff that happens during the game, obviously, you know, it just happens. It's, a, it's, it's just emotion. But um, in terms of pregame shots and stuff, it's just me looking on Twitter and Instagram, seeing what other people are doing during those times and trying to replicate that or trying to spin what they're doing into, you know, something that's creative and new and unique. Um, and I think that's very important because, 
uh, a lot of people think that this just comes naturally and that's just not how it works. It's, it's a lot of research uh, from what I, from what I've learned from what you've said. And I think it's important to kind of learn from others and to be very communicative with the people you're working with from other teams, like as we have from, you know, rival schools. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, creativity is something that can be shared and can be um, used for inspiration. It's not, you know, you're not going to copy something somebody did Mm -hmm. because you can't, you know, it's, that's just the way it is. And if you try to copy them, you won't be successful doing so. You, you always need to just take an idea they had. If it's looking at an angle under the basket, find a different angle under the basket and do the same sort of idea. It's just, it's still going to come out different because all creative, all creativity is um, subjective from one person to the other, but using those uh, influences is, you know, it's priceless because it's, it's free. It's on Twitter and it's, <laughs> it's, you know, it's at your disposal. And if you use it the right way, it could do wonders for you. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I don't think also that it has to be, you know, give to take basketball photographers or videographers work for to be specific and copy what they're doing. You can look at, you know, what NFL photographers, videographers are doing, NHL uh, photographers and videographers are doing, even, you know, concert photographers and videographers and what they're doing, which is what I'm going to transition transition to uh, next is, you know, your work with Atlantic Atlantic Records. Is there any parallels from working in the music industry to working in sports that, you know, have kind of shaped who you are, I guess? Um, as far as the parallels go, it's, it's definitely a little different, especially because when I was working at Atlantic, it was kind of like a day thing where you're, you're working in the city, mm-hmm. you know, regular business hours and a lot of your work. I'm sure profession, the, the people that work there full time, they do a lot of work from home. But when you're an intern, you're kind of there. For, for the time you're there and then sometimes you get work to take home but they're usually w- working you while, while you're in the office um so not being like at an event all the time is a little different um mm-hmm. so but at the same time the build-up for an event or the build-up for an album is kind of similar where, where you're you're preparing for an event um and, and you're planning for for something and instead of a hype video for a game maybe it's a hype video for an album um but the communication, as far as that goes, it's kind of similar with the way the staff works. Um, you have videographers and producers and everyone kind of works together. It's usually a small group, which is what content groups uh, usually are. And there's there's a lot that can come from it. As, as you said before, um, not looking at just one sport um, to help you out, but also not looking at just one industry. I think that um, the music industry can teach you a lot of things about video working in different sets it really uh, makes you think creatively because there's everyone's done acoustic solo videos but how do you do it differently how do you grab people's attention and why is it important that you do the certain video that you're trying to do Um, but it really helps you grow so much to be able to be in those different be in the different industries see different things the more things you see the better I mean I've been in in a ton of different situations as far as, you know, being a production assistant and doing lighting and stuff and seeing like corporate shoots, sit down interviews, documentary style interviews, um, two person interviews. Um, Everything just is knowledge that you can grow from and Atlantic records was definitely a big part of that for me. And do you think, you know, people who are looking to get into sports, but maybe they don't have the opportunity to get into sports and maybe they have like a opportunity to get into it through music. Do you think, that's a good place to start to get into sports as well, like starting in music or some other industry and then kind of working your way towards sports media and sports content. Yeah. I mean, any, anywhere you start is fine. You could start mm-hmm. just doing, doing stuff around your neighborhood or town to town. At the end of the day, if you're able to work the camera, then 
you know, there, there, there will be opportunities to, to branch out and sports is another thing. I mean, there, there's still right now is the only time there's not sports going on, yeah. but usually there's, there's sports going on. And if it goes down to filming a high school game, then you film a high school game, you know, it doesn't need to be all, all bright lights, especially when you're, when you're starting out, you could just learn um, very basic ways. But at the end of the day, you know, I've, been talking and trying to network recently as, as a recent graduate in this kind of crazy time. Um, and a lot of what people say is they, they like to see applicants who have a variety of things on their resume. It's not just sports because you, you have more knowledge. Like I said before, when we were talking earlier, being able to know how someone writes and how someone who has a production job, you know, understanding different people's positions, understanding other industries as well, just brings so much more knowledge into you and, and, just being out in the field in general, having a camera in your hands, working with it, working in Premiere. There's there's different tips and tricks for things, but at the end of the day, you're filming what's in front of you. And if you can do it creatively and have the skills in Premiere Pro, you will grow no matter what. And then once you get into sports and once you're able to get those opportunities, you, you will see the differences, you'll adapt to them. And once again, it comes down to just going out and doing it. Absolutely. That's a, I mean, that's a great point that you just mentioned. And I think, you know, a lot of people aren't willing to start at the lower levels. I know for a long time, it took me uh, a while to realize to that, you know, you can still do like high school games and they can be just as entertaining as, you know, professional sporting events because there's so much emotion that goes into them. And for me, it took, it took me a while to realize that, you know, you don't always have to do college or professional sports. You can do high school games and still have fun doing that. Um, so I guess my question is, when did you start to realize that doing some of these high school sports or even just like other things are just as important as doing a professional or college sporting event? Well, I mean, it's always just, I always did see in hall stuff, especially for sports. I didn't really film a lot of sports in high school. A lot of people mm-hmm. have really sports. I'm relatively new to this, to be completely honest. And I'm proud of the strides I've made, but I didn't really get on the creative wave until a couple of years back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm happy with the progress I've made, but some people that have, been doing it since high school have some some background in it that I don't a lot of my backgrounds actually in lighting lighting and, and you know being around a set and production and stuff like that um, but just being around so many different things is always um, important what was the question I'm sorry um, like I'm- honestly I'm not sure what the question was uh, I can't remember <laughs> oh um, do you rec- recommend I get or no I already asked that question I'm not sure where I was going with that honestly I don't know where I was going with that Oh, um, actually, I got a story for you. I guess. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Just sorry, I'm gonna make you have to do a little bit of editing there. No, it's okay. <laughs> we we'll uh, edit this out, so we're just gonna go with it. So honestly, oh yeah, so, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. cool, cool, cool. <laughs> um, so, um, one thing, one opportunity I haven't had as at Seton Hall is that it is a school without football. Uh, football is my number mm-hmm. one sport. Um, I I played football since I was like five years old, and I, I love football. I think there's more passion and culture around football than all sports in my opinion, but you can make arguments as you want. I respect them either way. Um, but I didn't have football to do here. I thought about doing some high school games, but it's always tough when I have to do soccer at Seton Hall and it's the same mm-hmm. nights. Um, but one thing I did was I have uh, my, my friend, he worked for um, an arena football team in Massachusetts, the Massachusetts Pirates. Yep. And he was uh, working in the ticket office. And I was like, hey, if you can get me a media pass for one game, like I, I'll be up at Massachusetts tomorrow, <laughs> you know, like I, I just want to get some football uh, stuff on my reel. And 
I talked to the media guy. I, he saw the equipment I had and was like, yeah, absolutely. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> and I, it, it's funny because I, I fight and claw for the access at Seton Hall and I call this guy and he's just like, you can be in the locker room. You can do whatever you want. You go, go for it. Um, so that, that was the way I got football on my reel and the way I got football um, in my experience. Um, just making it happen, you know, looking for opportunities and, and arena football is great because I didn't have all the equipment to shoot a hundred yards away, but arena football is kind of similar to basketball where it, it, it's somewhat near you. And I got the helmet shots. I got the hits. I got, you know, those little things that are always nice to have. And um, honestly, I was, I was putting together my, my full sports reel. I did a scene hall basketball one, but putting my whole sports reel together and just looking back at those shots, I didn't have the equipment that I have now, but I was like, you know what, that was, that was pretty cool. And it was, it was cool to get those shots and, you know, I really enjoyed it, and I still am looking for uh, more opportunities in football. No, absolutely. I'm with you on that because at St. John's, we don't have football either. So this year, I made the, I made like a conscious effort in the fall to seek out football opportunities, and I was able to kind of like freelance through this one website doing Rutgers football. I did two of their games. Actually, they were the only two games that Rutgers won this year, unfortunately, were the two games that I did. And then um, I also did a Wagner football game, which is a uh, for those of you who don't know, it's a college on Staten Island and their division one or FCS, I think. And then I also did Columbia and Penn. And then, then I also did a high school game at, uh, at Yankee Stadium. It was the PSAL championship at Yankee Stadium in the fall. And, you know, just being able to do all that in the fall was awesome uh, because, you know, football, is a, it's a different sport from basketball, baseball, from any other sport because of all the emotion that goes into it and all the players and all the different shots you can get. Um, and, you know, the most fun I had actually was doing a high school fo- the high school football game at Yankee Stadium because it was the, the, the championship for New York City. And there was so much emotion going into it. I ended up getting a lot of great, great emotional shots of the players because uh, going into it, I realized that there's going to be two sides of the story. One side's going to be the side that won who was, you know, very happy that they won. And the other side's going to be the dejected, um, you know, side that lost. And I think you know, just having that opportunity and being able to do like a high school game where there's a lot of emotion, it's a great chance to really test your storytelling and test your abilities and what you can do. Yeah, absolutely. And that's great that you got those opportunities because they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're priceless, you know, getting, yeah. getting to go different places and, and do different things is, is always um, important to do. And high school sports, I mean, there, there's no, loss of emotion there as someone who, who's mm. played them and, and been around yeah. them it doesn't matter if you know there's not as many people in the stands you care about that as much as the nfl might care about their games so mm. you know the emotion doesn't change and because of that the video doesn't have to either yeah no absolutely i mean playing sports in high school is pretty emotional most of the time especially mm. in high school football is very emotional for like no reason yeah. it just it just comes with the sport i guess and playing for your high school you know the town that you grew up in i guess um it's just it's a very cool feeling it's it's a surreal feeling that you don't get anywhere else i think yeah and you're you're sometimes you're playing a sport that you played your whole life and this is mm-hmm. your last go around you know that that it doesn't get any crazier than that and nfl players we go crazy when they retire and people go on their last rides mm-hmm. and and whatnot but you know it's the same thing with with high school sports so it's a great place to to get going even though i that's not even where i started it's i would definitely recommend it yeah no definitely i mean i didn't start um i'm i'm like you i started only a few years ago as well and I was just kind of thrown into this without any experience in high school. But, like, um, you know, if I had the chance to go back and start in high school, I would have totally taken the chance because it could have been so much fun. But, um, you know, I guess everything kind of happens for a reason. I'm sure you can relate to that. 
absolutely. That's what you got to just keep doing, keep making uh, creative decisions just to get better the next day. That's all it comes down to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you started at Seton Hall, was there something that, like, you wish, you know, looking back on it now, do you, is there anything that you wish that someone told you? Or was there a lesson that you learned along the way that's very important? Um, I mean, there's so many lessons, and I'll, I'll, I'm sure a few will, you know, will come to mind. It's, it's honestly, I just wish I, I knew I could have done it earlier because I could have, you know, I could have started filming freshman year, and my challenges from, you know, that were that I had this year, I would have had earlier, and I would have, you know, made more progress and been in a better place right now. But I'm also very happy with the progress I've made and where I'm at. I just think that, you know, just knowing that. If you if you go out and, and come out with a plan and and you know you can really make yourself successful. You can reach your goals and your time to really just mess around is in college. You have time to just try whatever you want to do. Ask people questions that you don't know if they're stupid or not, and if they're if they're stupid, it doesn't even matter. Um, and and doing things that maybe you're not comfortable with, and because most of the time people aren't paying you to do it. And if you mess up, you're still just a student worker working for them and, and doing whatever. It's just a great time to learn. Um, and I went in there with that mentality. But at the same time, there's there's always twists and turns that you wish you knew. But at the same time, the process is, is knowing that there's going to be twists and turns and knowing that um, you're going to run into challenges. And there's going to be days that maybe you feel like you're not doing enough because it's 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 a challenging sort of industry. You know, you're, you're very you know dependent on yourself and you're dependent on people liking what you're doing. Um, but at the same time, it's it's really reliant on you and just getting the job done and, and being confident in your abilities and, and trying to grow each and every day. Absolutely. And I think, you know, what you said about being, you know, susceptible to learning and be able to be, you know, willing to ask stupid questions is something that I wish I had learned way earlier because for a long time, I was afraid to ask questions. I thought people would think I'm dumb or just didn't belong there. And you know, I've come to realize the stupider the question, maybe the better the answer sometimes, because, you know, I've had so many people I've come in contact to where I could have asked so many questions. I just chose not to because I was afraid to. And it's something that I kind of regret. But now that I've realized it and I have one more year of college too, um, something I can take advantage of. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Always, always um, coming in with, you know, an idea of what, what you want to get out of certain experiences. And if you're not, then understanding what changes you can make, knowing where you're at is so important um in in sports media especially just understanding like this is kind of where i'm at in this industry i'm not higher i'm not lower i'm right here and this is where i want to be um don't there's really no point in telling yourself you're a lot better than you are (laughs) and that's not to talk down on anybody that's just you know be real with yourself you know Mm -hmm. this is where you're at what you've done is great what you've what progress you've made is great but there's a lot more work to get done and there's never you know you if you're at the top of the mountain, you're only at the bottom of the next. So it's, it's a process and you're just going to have to keep going. And that's really what it comes down to. And if you want to get into the content industry, there's going to be, there's definitely going to be those challenges. But if you continue moving and continue going, knowing that from your first step in college or your first step with a camera is very important. Oh, exactly. And I think some of the best people in the industry right now are still learning. Uh, they're, they're taking every chance they can to, you know, network and to talk to people and to learn from them. Um, which I think is what's so great about this industry is everybody's so willing to learn from each other. Um, as you can see, you know, with us talking to each other and I'm sure you've joined all those zoom calls that have been going on on Twitter. Um, yeah. And I've, I've learned so much from those. I'm sure you have too. Yeah. I, I've made a lot of, you know, networking from those has been great. And I think mm-hmm. that's really been 
one of the best positives from this whole situation of, of quarantine that we've been in is, you know, how open the creative community has been and everyone knows that they may not have someone to make their edits for. So they put it on Twitter and they say, this is what I've done. This is what I'm doing. And, and, you know, just having that, those conversations, you know, I'm just so happy that the creative community is as welcoming as it is and that everyone mm -hmm. is open to helping other people because everyone knows that they're in the, the same sort of situation. And even if you're competing, you know, we're all on our own sort of like track. I mean, competing for like jobs or, or positions and stuff. You're on, you're all on your own sort of, um, everyone's on their own ride. Um, it, it'll work out. <laughs> it may yeah. not seem like it all the time, but it, you'll, you'll get that next job. You'll get that, that next opportunity if you continue to put yourself in the position to get it. Um, and by doing that, it's just continue to work and get better and network. And there's a lot that goes into it. It's challenging as I've, I've said a few times now. So it's, there, there, there's a lot in it, but the creative community has definitely been something that I've started to take advantage of more in the last couple of months. And that's another piece of advice I would give to uh, someone entering college is get on that creative community, find one person who, who um, you, who inspires you, who you aspire to be and check out all the people they follow. And if it says creative content here, creative content there, just follow them. And eventually your entire Twitter content is just going to be creative producers and people conversating. Um, so it, it's, that's a great way to learn. It's not, it's not, you know, uh, by the book, but it, it's a great way to just learn and meet people. No, absolutely. And I think that's what I've done, you know, the past few months is just kept following people who are working at other schools, other leagues, like just anywhere, honestly, just trying to find, seek out those people. And some of the best advice I got over, you know, quarantine was, uh, from one of those zoom chats and someone said that you know the whole follower ratio thing that everybody like swears by in the social media world where you can only follow so many people um before it becomes weird i guess it, it's total you know bs like that like it doesn't make sense like it um you know if you want to be good at this you you have to you know learn from the best and you have to follow everybody and see what they're doing to get ideas and i think that's probably some of the best advice i've gotten recently i guess Mm -hmm. as long as if, if it's quality content then mm -hmm. yeah definitely worth it yeah absolutely um so you just graduated from teen hall so what's next for you um you know do you have any leads on jobs uh, what's what is what does the job market look like right now for you well the job market in general doesn't look great right now for for a lot of people um right now man i'm just i'm freelancing i'm open mm -hmm. to a lot of new opportunities i wish i had a big one coming up that i I could tell you about but right now it's been focused on getting everything ready so that when the big opportunity comes I'm ready and that's getting my reels ready that's getting my website ready and that's networking and being in touch with people um, I'm gonna be I work for um, a few shows and production companies in New York City doing lighting and grip work and that's always gonna be work that I, I value because it teaches you so much you're around DPs every day you're around producers every day um, and then I'll be continuing my creative content for, for different businesses that will have me. Right now, I'm working with um, BMG Strategies, which is a PR firm for a, uh, a law firm, doing some content work for different companies that uh, they provide service to. And, um, you know, working on a couple of leads for different opportunities, but nothing is right now definite. But it's all part of the journey. It's all part of, you know, what's kind of going on right now is that, you know, <laughs> some people have stuff lined up and that's awesome. But at the same time, if you don't, you're you're also pretty dangerous I like to think because there, there's you know there's so many things I can do and it, it there's not really a huge rush right now it's a really about getting better it's about getting all my stuff together and you know trusting that the process will bring me where it needs to
Mm-hmm. And how much of, you know, what you're doing now was planned out before any of this happened to like, um, you know, where you do like when you like in a perfect world, um, I guess, did you plan on, you know, freelancing and doing stuff like that? Or did you just, you know, try and seek out jobs or were you trying to do a combination of the both, I guess? Combination of both. Um, mm-hmm. I was applying for jobs all the time, but it's always, you know, freelance is very, very solid. You know, it, mm-hmm. you can do what you want. You're on your own schedule. You can take different jobs. And for me, someone who has worked in sports and music and business and all this different, different all these different things, um, not limiting myself is very important to me. Um, and even if I was to take a full-time job, it would be, you know, the right situation for me um, just mm-hmm. because freelancing is, is a powerful tool to, to use. And if you do it the right way, you can, you know, really see uh, progress made there and using different clients. And, um, you know, either way, freelancing is, is a good option to always have, especially in the creative field. But it's been uh, applying for full-time positions, seeing which ones open up. Um, a lot of them closed their searches during quarantine and most haven't opened back up or have, you know, found internal hires. Um, which makes things more challenging, but that's just part of, you know, what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I agree with that. Uh, it's definitely a, a situation that no one thought we'd be in, but I think, you know, people like yourself are doing a great job of adapting to that situation, kind of just rolling with, you know, what's happening. And um, that's definitely something that, you know, takes a lot of thinking to do and a lot of skill to do as well, I guess. Yeah, uh, I guess so. I'd like to think so. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, I'm someone that I've been putting off like reels and websites. Like it, I dread it. <laughs> I, I think I'm it, with you. So much, so much goes into a reel. Like I spent so much time on my, I did my whole sports reel, like almost my whole sports reel. And I was like, I just want to do a scene hall basketball one and like pop it on Twitter and, and do some crazy effects and see what happens. And then I did that and I watched it a million times, do all these exports. And at the end of the day, like it, it does great things. I got, I got, mm-hmm a great viewership, a lot of connections from it. I was able to reach out to other people um, and see what they thought. And they're great to have, and they're very necessary. And that's what I think this time has been, has been great for is getting all those things ready, get everything, you know, where it needs to be and improve. You know, you don't want to put too much pressure on yourself because obviously we're in a weird situation, but Mm -hmm. in the last three months, I've made a lot of strides in video editing and just overall content. I've learned to do photography a lot better. That's been a big thing for me. Bought a drone. That's been a big thing for me. Um, That's huge. It changes everything. I wish I had one for basketball season, but yeah. did not have a stimulus check during basketball season. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, but uh, learning new things has been uh, kind of the theme of the last few months and just setting yourself up. So it's it's been fun, and you know, I, I advise anybody to do the same in their own personal way. And how have you been learning new things exactly? Have you been going on YouTube, or have you been, like, joining these master classes that are being put out? Like, how have you been, de- uh, been improving yourself during all this? Really, as I was saying before, seeing what other people are doing and, and trying to do my own thing, whether it's, you know, someone uses a lot of overlays. I didn't really use, <clears throat> excuse me, I didn't really use uh, overlays before too much. Um, a lot of what I did was pure storytelling, shot to shot, um, getting it done and, and telling the story that way. But at the same time, you have to understand what little things grab people's attention. And, and honestly, man, I just, I joined TikTok. <laughs> and, and I was like, I mean, there's a lot of things I don't like about TikTok, but I cannot state enough how much it inspires creativity because you cannot be basic on TikTok. You cannot, you, you have to come up with something crazy, whether it's transitions, whether it's cool overlays, doing something different um, and just learning new effects and, and finding new things, whether it's YouTube, seeing one thing that ex- inspires you. You, you, you could see something that 
you know, you want to copy and then you look it up and you realize, well, if I do it this way, I, I can do it completely different and still get the same kind of effect. Um, and, and really whatever you continue to watch and, and, and learn from others will help you grow. Um, yeah. I mean, to go back to the TikTok thing, personally, I don't have TikTok because I had to delete it because I was spending way too much time on it and I was just wasting the whole day just watching TikToks all day. But I do see the creative value that, that it has in there. I think it's also opened up a lot of people to, you know, video editing and you know, that being a possibility in their lives. And I think it, there's a lot of good that can come from it. But, you know, for me personally, there's just so much bad for it that I just didn't need um, in terms of wasting time. And I'm, I've considered going back on it because I, I see a whole uh, kind of, you know, personal brand marketing value that came from it. I saw that you posted a TikTok about your work at CN Hall and I think, I'm pretty sure it blew up. Yeah, they do. They listen, they yeah. do great on, they do great on Twitter. I post mm. them on Twitter and they do phenomenal. My CN Hall community loves it. TikTok, <laughs> like, Obviously, the community on TikTok for seeing all basketball isn't great, but yeah. you, know, you you have you get enough people, and it's really honestly, it's really not even about like blowing up. If I blow up on mm. on TikTok, it doesn't really matter. It's more just having a having experience on vertical video is very important. Mm. Having experience on on quick content because you're limited to a minute, and if you go over thirty seconds, you're probably not getting views because no one's going to watch the whole thing on TikTok at least. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, and as you said, I think it does, and it does get people into video editing. I, I've tried editing on TikTok, and it's infuriating to me. I can bring it on Premiere. Yeah, I can't do it. I just bring it on Premiere and, and 1080 it, export it, bring it on my phone, and then I put it in TikTok and add the text if I need to. But I, I've, people that do things on TikTok, man, it's very impressive. And, and it's, uh, honestly, it is creative content. That's what, what TikTok is. And you can get, you can get sucked in, but I did the same thing on TikTok that I did on, on Twitter. I went on a couple of people who I followed on Twitter who I knew they had TikToks. I went on their page, followed them, and then went down the people they followed and just went down the line and followed all of them. And then you find people who you enjoy on TikTok. You find the people they follow because people kind of follow the people they respect. That's who they, you know, and TikTok has the for you side. So, um, or for your page side and, and that kind of is more manufactured. But if you go to your following, eventually it'll structure to something that you enjoy so if you do it the right way tiktok is a great tool i mean i didn't even think about doing it that way but that's actually a smart idea and maybe you know you may might have just convinced me to get back on tiktok um but in terms of the whole video editing side i've heard the frustration from a lot of video editors with the way that the way you can edit um you know like what is it exactly i haven't i haven't made a tiktok so i don't know how bad it is like how how weird is it yeah, I mean, we're used to timeline editing. So you put mm. the clips next to each other, you use the length, you can use the specific yeah. amount. In this, you're like, basically, you, you take a piece of content, you click that piece of content, and you decide how many seconds or what part of it, and then you put that on your figurative timeline. But I like kind of wow. like putting, I, I'm a big layer guy. Yeah. So like keeping something underneath and just putting things on top to build and then build right back to that thing. It, it's... And I'm not, I don't use it a lot. So there's probably mm-hmm. just people that know more about the TikTok editing than I do. But just from first glance, it's it's a little tricky to, to do the things I wanted to do and get things from here to there. The transitions are pretty good. Um, but at the end of the day, what they're doing is, is they're making it for like tick, for dancing videos and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So that's what it's kind of structured for is that you have maybe two to three clips that you're putting together. But if you're, if you're really editing and you want to put together a video edit, get in Premiere, flip it vertically and just, export it and put it on yourself you'll be fine 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, the way you just explained it just gave me a headache. Uh, that's not the way I learned how to video edit. It's not the way anyone should learn how to video edit. But, yeah. you know, the, I guess the silver lining of all that is, you know, maybe people are going to start download, downloading Premiere and making videos on Premiere now because of TikTok and how inferior it is to um, to edit on there. Um, you know, kind of last thing here, do you think TikTok is a good marketing tool for sports teams? Because uh, St. John's, I think, has TikTok and they've done pretty well on it. But do you think... You know, you're going to see a lot of teams transition to TikTok uh, for, you know, some quick content during games and stuff. Uh, if, if there's people that are watching it and there are on TikTok and there is a, a possibility of getting a big viewership, you absolutely should. That's 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 pretty simple, to be completely mm-hmm. honest. Like if there's a crowd there and there's a way to engage with fans and yes, you should absolutely use it. Um, and just it goes back to using it the right way. I mean, mm-hmm. people just put time lapses on there for five seconds, but people scroll by it and you, you're, you have such a valuable name as a college or as a team that people will follow and people will watch it and you'll get the viewers that, that you need and you'll engage with people. And it's kind of like advertising. You don't need them to, you know, really engage with it too much. You just need that name to continue to kind of pop up in their head and, and kind of see it. And that's what TikTok kind of does. It, it You know, you are in front of somebody's phone and, and you're kind of making your um, claim for whatever time they give you. Um, so any, I would say any, any opportunity to engage with fans is, is a good one. And TikTok has a lot of perks. Mm. No, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think they're, that we're going to see a shift uh, pretty soon in terms of TikTok and you know teams using it more. Because I think it's a, it's a great platform when used right, as you said. Um, so I guess that's where we're going to end that portion of our discussion. But we have five rapid fire questions where I ask you, Questions that have nothing to do with what we just talked about, nothing to do with sports. So here we go. Uh, first one is your favorite movie. Favorite movie. Um, you know, I really love, um, I love Inception. Mm-hmm. I want to say also Now You See Me is one of my favorite series. I think that's like so cool, just the effects they, they use and doing like magic tricks and stuff like that. I was thinking about this yesterday. So whenever someone asks me about my favorite movie, I always come up with like five different answers but because um, there's, there's sports movies there's these movies but um i respect so many different directors for what they do and and the different styles they're able to have no um absolutely i think now you see me is a great one to bring up because no one ever thinks of that movie like personally oh. I, I didn't think i didn't think of that movie but like now that you say it like yeah it makes sense the video transitions in there are, are impeccable to make it seem like you know people are disappearing and stuff so yeah, I mean, it's it's a magic movie, but at the end of the day, the magic is the video editing, which exactly. is kind of interesting. <laughs> that is actually kind of cool. I think maybe I'll go and watch that. Watch those back. Um, second question here: Any hidden talents? I sing. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. I put. I sing and play guitar. I, I recorded music. Um, I'm still recording music. I just haven't put anything out in in a little while. Um, but. Yeah, that was kind of what I did in high school a lot. Um, it slowed down a little bit now. I still do it, but it's, it's you know, I, I found my passion a little bit on, on what I'm doing now. And it's always something that's with me. I'm always songwriting and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I guess that's my, my hidden talent now, which was not hidden like two, three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> that's so weird how it's just kind of like became hidden. And now it's, I mean, now I've kind of exposed you, so it's not hidden anymore. But um, you know, that's, that, that's an awesome thing to get into, though. Um, you know, when did you start singing exactly? Like, did you start in high school? Or did you start earlier than that? I started. I started when I was like seven years old, taking singing lessons and guitar lessons. And I, um, songwriting is really what I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm decent at guitar. I play a lot of gigs. Like, I'm good enough at guitar that I can get myself by. But I really wasn't 
you know, singing was what I really enjoyed. Songwriting was what I really enjoyed. I enjoy playing guitar. I get frustrated playing other instruments, even though I try to. I know my basics on piano and drums, but guitar is where my, my instrument and singing is my best instrument. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I wish I was musically talented. Unfortunately, my short music career ended with the trumpet and uh, haven't gone back since. But well, I did not play an instrument in the elementary school band, and I wish I did. I was, <laughs> I was too arrogant in my own head and i was like i don't need to play another instrument blah 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 and then i didn't know how to read music until i took a class in college so it's that's another thing man just just going back to what we said before mm-hmm. learn 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 new things respect other aspects that maybe you didn't think of before oh no absolutely i agree with that 100 percent. because i respect people who songwrite and stuff I actually yeah. i enjoy watching you know um you know famous singers songwrite and stuff because it's such a good way to learn the creative process and see what they go through to make a song um you know one of my favorite documentaries that was put out was um there was a documentary about ed sheeran and how he wrote his last album and like he just kind of follows him throughout you know, that whole process and it's so cool to watch him you know write songs that just blew up um once the album was released and yeah. i think that's a great way to learn the creative process yeah, Ed Sheeran's, Ed Sheeran's my biggest musical inspiration just because mm-hmm. he's a songwriter and he um, does everything really on his own. And it, at the end of the day, it comes down to what, what he wants to do and how he does it. Um, he plays one man band shows and gets it done. It's insane. I've watched him. That was, that's like one of the only concerts I've ever been to was Ed Sheeran live. And like the way he uses the loop pedal is insane. Just to, you know, mash up all those different uh, instruments and all the different noises that he makes to make a song. It's, it's so cool to watch. You have one person on stage and he holds the crowd for two hours. It's, yeah. it's unreal. Where'd you see him? Um, at Gillette Stadium. It was like a few years ago. Yeah. Like, so so like, I had no idea like what a loop pedal was, but like during the concert, he broke down what he's doing to us. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever. It was, all, yeah. it was so awesome. And to do it like him is otherworldly. I've used a loop pedal before, but the way mm-hmm. he uses it is, is unbelievable. <laughs> it's, I know. It's insane. It, it's like a whole town in and of itself, honestly. Because you, you have to have such a good year for music to, to do something like that, I guess. You have such good timing. <laughs> that's mm, that's true. Metal. You have to get every like beat correct or you're just going to mess up for the entire length of the song. <laughs> I know. That's the thing. Like If you mess up one little part of the song, you have to kind of like reset the thing and then just kind of yeah. do it all over again. It's, oh, yeah. it's insane. Okay. Um, third question is a uh, favorite book. Um, I'm writing, I'm reading um, Supermarket right now by Logic. He's one of my favorite uh, artists. Mm-hmm. And he, um, I respect him on so many different levels and he's someone that I've always followed, not even just for their music, just for their like views on life and views mm-hmm. on creativity and passion. Um, and honestly, I haven't gotten very far, so I wouldn't say it's my favorite book, yeah. but I should do more reading is the, is the end of that story. But, um, <laughs> I, I definitely think that there's a lot of power in reading. I have a friend that reads a lot of books and, and it's, it's funny cause I'll bring up like situations for him and, or, or bring up like what is your viewpoint on this? And he'll be like, you know, I read in this one book, this saying, and he says it. And I'm like, you know what? That's, that's pretty solid. I'm talking about like books, like the art of war, <laughs> like oh, yeah. reading thing, like, like I'm um, saying you, you should never push your enemy too far against the wall. Cause then all they have to do is fight back. Mm-hmm. It's just very, very like clever lines like that. There's so much power in reading and words. And I, I, I would advise anybody to do it, but at the same time, I'm a hypocrite cause I don't read. <laughs> but, <laughs> no. Um, I, it, Going back to the logic, um, yeah. 
writing that book is is um, unbelievable, and I'm excited to get to the rest of it. I agree with what you said about reading because uh, before this, I'd never really read that much. I hated reading, honestly. I think it's because of you know elementary school, middle school, and high school. They kind of pounded into your head that you have to read, they but now. It. But yeah, exactly. It ruined it for me. But now I absolutely love reading. I've read four books right now and I'm working on number five like this past year, which is insane. And I've read a bunch of different books about different things. So I just, I just finished reading a book yesterday from like the 1800s. But a guy, who, um, I'm not sure if you've heard about it. It's, it's called Walden by Thoreau. And this guy who like builds a house in the middle of the woods and just lives there for a year. And he just writes about like what he saw and stuff. It's an interesting book. It's like a good life book. And um, mm-hmm. so today I started reading actually um, Phil Jackson's 11 Rings, uh, The Soul of Success, which is a good book. Uh, I've, only, I'm more, I've only read 20 pages of it, but um, yeah. And I'm, I also read a, uh, a U.S. history book about how all we've been taught in uh, school is wrong, which, is, which was awesome because I love history. But um, yeah, I think there's so much to learn from reading and it's a good skill to have. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would advise by it. I, I should do it more. <laughs> um uh fourth question here three people you'd want to have to dinner oh man it's always a tough question um, yeah for sure let's go with let's go with logic since we're talking about him okay um yeah this is tough i want to say i'm trying to come up with somebody in the <laughs> creative community honestly i mean ty rogers is someone that i'd love to talk to um yeah, he's interesting definitely he's, he's yeah. one of the goats of what we do um so that's that's really important and then yeah maybe someone who's who's very diverse has been an athlete a, a coach and, and then worked their way into tv they're always mm-hmm. uh, interesting to talk to because um they have a different sort of perspective so you know, people like Michael Strahan, honestly, who's who's become kind of a phenomenon on screen, um, and people, you know, who produce. And that, that's a weird three people. But yeah, <laughs> that's three people. You know, you know where I'm getting at. Three, yeah. three kinds of people. You know, those are definitely uh, good people to have and good reasons to have all of them. Um, you know, a person to kind of add to this Michael Strahan thing is uh, Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr is very interesting to me now, um, because of all the stuff I've learned from Last Dance in the last episode about him. Like, I didn't know any of other, any of that stuff. I've listened to a few podcasts since then, and he's a very interesting character. I think. Yeah, he is. He's he's um, done so much. He's a mm. MSG guy, so he's yeah. he knows his uh, New York basketball. Even though he he knew it enough not to come here and coach. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, he's and he has opinions outside of sports, which is always important to see in people that they you know look for greater purposes and things. So Steve Kerr is a great name. <clears throat> yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's um, kind of who of made my role models lately are people who just kind of made them made a career for themselves outside of sports because mm-hmm. i think like people like kobe bryant who have like yeah. gone to business and stuff like it, i think that stuff's cool because it shows how cool of a person they are i guess yeah yeah absolutely there's um there's there's so much power in having different professions and different talents and stuff like that and when you can make a living off one and not just a living be be able to achieve greatness in one and still be hungry for more. That's always important to see. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so last question I have for you here is your favorite quote, if you have one. Favorite quote. Oh man. Um, 
One I've been really trying to live by. I heard it at I heard it at the Tonys last year, and it's one that kind of keeps mm-hmm. me sane a little bit. Um, someone made an acceptance speech. I was actually working the Tonys red carpet, and then we did post post interviews, and they That's had the awesome. live. Yeah, that was that was a cool experience. But I remember I was sitting in the room, and someone wins. I forget what his name is. I should look it up. But he he says three rules of life, and I have them all all three saved. But the one that really got me was that slowly is the fastest way to get where you're trying to be. You know, there's no you're not going to get where you're trying to be by cutting corners and rushing it. You have to just take your time and let the process play itself out. And right now is a lot of that. So um, mm-hmm. I'm definitely trying to live by that saying, and I've been trying to do it for a while now because I've always been like, you know, I want success and I want it now because that's the way I am. And, you know, when, when you're driven and motivated, as I think I am, you know, that, that that's you want results, obviously. But knowing that the process is important and that you're not going to get there by speeding through it is very important and slowly is the fastest way to get to where you're trying to be because you won't get there if you're not. I 100% agree with that quote. And, you know, something I try to remind myself of every day is to trust the process because, you know, there's so much, I think, you know, the process is more important where you enjoy it most than, you know, the end game or or where you're going. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's an important thing to realize. And the the younger to realize it, the more, you know, more fun you're going to have in life, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the process is everything, man. Once yeah. you get, to, once you get to where you're trying to be, like you're just kind of like, now what? Unless yeah, exactly. Like if you don't, if you don't repeatedly have goals and have things you want to do, and it's great, absolutely, uh, uh, um, <clears throat> put out achievable goals for yourself and make them and appreciate the fact that you made them. Like don't, mm-hmm. don't just say, okay, now I did it, and I have to go to the next thing. Take a second to say, hey, I, I did this. You know that it's important to appreciate yourself and and, and look back on the things you've accomplished with, you know appreciation and saying, you know, I'm proud of myself for doing those things, but the work's not done. We got to keep going. So it's, it's all about just short term, short term, short term goals and long term goals, working those together and and just being true with yourself. Absolutely. Uh, Couldn't agree more. It's something that I've tried to implement, implement in my life, um, you know, recently. And it's something that I've I've seen um, a great improvement in my life with, but um, uh, I'm going to end right there because that was such a great note to end on. So Keith, thank you for coming on the show and um, I wish you the best of luck. Yeah. Thank you, man. I appreciate you uh, starting this podcast and bringing people like me on. It's uh, awesome to able to, you know, talk about my experiences and hopefully, you know, someone takes a listen and takes something out of it. Like I've, you know, been able to do on other people's podcasts, but credit to you for, you know, starting this and getting this done. Yeah, no, uh, I really appreciate that. And, um, you know, that's that's why I started doing this is to kind of help people who are younger and who wanted to get into this. And I think um, um, I, I recently received, received a DM from somewhere in high school who um, uh, thanked me for making the podcast and uh, for all the reasons that you just said. I think, you know, that's a sign that I'm heading in the right place with this and that, you know, having people on like like yourself are it, it's, it's it's helping people. And I thank you for having. I think I want to thank you for having you on again because um, the insight that you brought to this is, was amazing, and I think a lot of people are going to learn from this. Absolutely, man. Thank you. Um, so that's it for our show uh, this week. Uh, tune in next week. Um, hope you all have a great week, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>